Hi, my name is Abby Futrell, and I am a digital innovation coach with North Carolina State University's Friday Institute for Digital Innovation, and I am located in Raleigh, North Carolina. So happy to be here tonight. Hi, my name is Bettina Shea, and I am an associate professor at California State University, Long Beach, um, in teacher education. Hi, I am Susan Bearden, and I am the digital equity project director for the Consortium for School Networking, and I'm in Washington, D.C. I'm Lara Urban Kassab. I'm at San Jose State University. I am an assistant professor and uh, do a lot of research and work with local uh, K-12 partner districts on integrating technology into our teacher education program. Okay, Sarah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Sarah Thomas, and I am a regional technology coordinator um, over in Maryland, and I'm also affiliate faculty at Loyola University. And then here at the University of Redlands, our workshop is an on-the-ground workshop. So we have a couple of sessions running on the ground in other rooms, but we have two people here in our room joining us for this virtual session. So I'll let them introduce themselves. My name is Yana Chavez. I'm a student with the School of Education here. My name is Ronnie McDonald. I'm an EdTech instructional coach for Corona Norco Unified School District. So welcome everyone again, and thank you to our panelists. Um, so what we usually do when we have our webinars, we like to kind of kick it off with a very general question for everyone um, here on our panel. And then from time to time, we'll watch as the questions come in from those of you watching, and we'll see if we can um, hopefully address your questions as well. So please send those through. We can also use the SCDEPLN hashtag on Twitter if you'd like to send questions out that way or comments out that way as well. So our first question for our panelists, we'd like to um, ask what your thoughts are about digital equity. So how do you define it? And maybe what does it look like on your campus or in your classroom? So how about if, uh, Bettina, would you mind jumping in first? Sure, so digital equity for me is, there's a bunch of different uh, kind of components of digital equity. So the first component for me is I think about access, right? So who has access to technology and not just access to the technology itself, but access to an ability to use technological tools in thoughtful ways or express Um So there's the access issue and then there's also the issue of um, opportunity, right? So even if you have access, who has the opportunity to use this in different spaces? And then who has access in different places, right? When we think about educational spaces, K-12 versus university, are teachers in teacher education given access to technology in their teacher training programs so that they're able to actually implement um, the types of technology that are most relevant to students? Um, and then finally, kind of thinking about the differences between kind of how we embed or think about teacher knowledge as well and how we integrate um, teacher and student knowledge, right? So how are we um, thinking about the ways in which students um, are 
using their own funds of knowledge, the things that they're taking from their own experiences outside of the classroom and being able to implement those in academically thoughtful ways um, within classrooms. So those are all some of the components around digital equity. Um, so uh, the same thing, I think generically we think when we think about digital equity, we, you know, we think about um, equal access. Um, working in a very rural district, um, that's not a possibility in a lot of the, the districts I served. Like, you know, we could give everybody a device, but we don't have the infrastructure. And then I, sometimes I work in districts that don't have availability, like cable and internet service is not available, not even mobily. So um, I have a tendency to lean towards the definition of whatever tech, that the most technology that could be provided is provided and that it is being used in a thoughtful and equitable manner. So you don't have certain groups of kids who are using technology for remediation only, and then the students who finish their work early get to use it creatively and to extend learning and to engage. So I think more, um, because the access is such an issue in my context, I think more about that the use is fair, equitable, and provides engagement, enhancement, and extension for all students. And I'll go ahead and jump in. This is Susan Bearden from COSIN. So uh, I look at digital equity, there's, a, there's several different angles to it. Obviously, um, as was just mentioned, uh, the issue of access, especially in rural areas, is uh, a very critical one. A lot of folks don't realize there are a lot of area, a lot of rural areas in particular that do not have high-speed internet access. Um, with the E-rate, um, a lot more, a very much higher percentage of our schools have become connected to high-speed internet in the past uh, couple of years, but there's still exists what's called a homework gap, which would be uh, the needs of students who do not have internet access at home. So when I think of digital equity, I think of first of addressing the homework gap, uh, but also of uh, thinking of equity of use. Are students using technology actively or passively? Are they using it to create and collaborate or are they just using it for test prep? I hear some agreement in the room here. I think so. I'd like to point out that um, I don't know if you've heard of the T3 framework by Sunny Magana. It's a big thing. It's replacing the SAMR model. And so his whole platform is consumption versus creation and the use of technology. We need to get, we're experts, the kids are expert consumers, um, but we need to get them into that creation with the device so that they're using what they can research on Google to apply it in a situation. They're great with the consumption, but they don't know what to do with it. And so that, I think for me, is the big digital equity piece because uh, maybe because I'm not in a rural area we don't have two to one or anything like that. We're probably, we have mostly labs, but they're, the teachers that I'm working with are trying to get to that point where the kids are using it to create something as opposed to consuming information. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and jump in here. For me, I, um, San Jose is a very urban area and we serve in our teacher education program, we serve, um, a great many school districts. To me, the equity issue is twofold, um, and I'm going to couch it in real life. We have placements of teacher candidates in math classes in one school district that primarily serves 
students who are, um, they have a higher percentage of free and reduced lunch. And another placement of a math candidate in a school where a majority of the students are kids of Google and Facebook and Adobe executives. And in, in the school that has a lot of free and reduced lunch programs, students at that high school, they have like the cell phone jail, the pocket organizers put up by the door. And as the students come in, they have to put their cell phones into the pockets of the organizer as they come in the door. And they are not allowed to utilize their cell phones for productivity purposes. They're taken away from them basically when they walk in the door. Whereas in the district that has um, a lot of students who are coming from families of Facebook and Google, et cetera, that, that student teacher in that placement is using the cell phone to do exit tickets, is using the cell phone to be able to teach the students how to use mobile apps in a way to be productive and prepare for 21st century um, college and careers. And it's not only an issue of how the students are being able to be prepared to utilize technology in their own futures, but if we look at the use of technology to assess student learning, and then the use of that assessment data by the instructor to be able to tailor their instruction of the students the next day, and the timeliness of being able to address instructional you know, needs of students in an, an immediate way that technology affords, um, I think it's an equity component. It's, it's equity not only of just college and career readiness, but even just the content that students are getting um, within a classroom is as a digital equity issue um, by prevention of use of technology or by facilitating use of technology at a policy level. So uh, just apologies, we're going to mute from time to time our room here just um, for the sake of adjusting for the sound level and the feedback. Um, but we wanted to take a moment just to give a shout out to a few people who have said hello to us. Um, Sarah and Susan are noting all the hellos coming in. So thank you to those of you who are watching live right now. Thank you to uh, Kay. Um, it looks like we have, also have Alyssa. Um, am I missing others, Sarah? Chris? Is out there. Thank you, Chris, for joining us today. Right, Ashley. Thank you to all of you joining us today. So, if you have any questions for us, um, please drop them in the comments box. I see um, there's a comment that came in. It says, "I like to include the digital use divide from Office of Ed Tech and make sure my students can be members of participatory culture. I have traditional age community colleges." and lots of adult students. This is a comment from Kay. So um, this is something to think about too, even as ed tech leaders, you know, and working with um, teachers. How do we make sure, I mean, are we thinking about digital equity for our teachers too? You know, are we just thinking about it for our students? So I'm wondering what thoughts might be about that as well. What about the digital equity for teachers? Can I throw that out to uh, Susan? Sure, absolutely. So I think it's important to um, recognize that not all teachers have equal access to the professional development they need to utilize technology effectively. They don't have uh, equal access to the actual tools themselves. Um, they may Their classrooms may not have um, devices or they may not be able to, they may not have adequate bandwidth even if they do have devices. And I think the 
um, I think it's important to realize that um, providing digital equity for students in the classroom has to include, you have to recognize the fact that uh, these factors, uh, including professional development, are important uh, for our teachers. Because if the teachers uh, do not know how to use technology and instruction in um, using it actively and, and instead of, you know, for drill and kill workshops, but actually using it to con uh, to create and collaborate themselves, they're not going to be able to uh, teach their students that. So that's why I think it's so terrific that we have uh, teacher education programs involved in this conversation because uh, digital equity has to start at um, from the earliest uh, teacher training programs. Yeah, I just want to echo what Susan said. I totally agree with that. I think that was part of my digital equity um, definition was this idea of um, really how do we also create digital equity among teachers? I think there's somewhat of a Matthew effect where if you come in with a lot of knowledge around digital technologies, you tend to get more digital technology professional development because you know where to look and you know how to use Twitter as a professional development tool. And you know, um, you know, and then you're seen as an instructional leader, but you may only be in the first couple of years of your practice if you had a strong pre-service experience with technology. But then it also depends, like I'm in a very large program. And so it depends on, who you take as a professor, right? So there's the required educational technology course, which has gotten a lot better over the years, but it varies by the department that our single subject students are in. And then if they take a course with me, there's like integrated technology, because that's just who I am. But again, that is an equity issue, right? Because not every student in a large program is gonna have a particular instructor. And if you don't have an instructor um, that is really technology forward, I mean, I think, if we want to go even a further level up, really thinking about digital equity among teacher educators, right? So how are teacher educators prepared to teach about technology when sometimes the last time they've been in the classroom is 20 years ago when there weren't digital tools, right? So they're not using it in their practice. They're not modeling it for teachers. And this is not to get at teacher educators. We have a lot on our plates. Um, but I think it's it's about opportunity. And you know, how you meet people where they're at and help them to get to a place where everybody can start recognizing the importance of this particular tool. So I think it's really important. And I've written about kind of um, just some case study work that I've done. If you give students multiple opportunities at the pre-service level, then when they go into their practice, they're more likely to integrate technology into their own classrooms because they have this sense of having done it in a safe space in a pre-service program. So I think it's really important and I don't think we can talk about digital equity for students unless we talk about digital equity for teachers too. I just want to absolutely agree with Bettina on this. That is one of our big missions right now at San Jose State is trying to find ways that we can ensure digital equity for our teacher education candidates. And we don't have a technology education course. So we are facing how do we integrate technology into courses because our courses are so, like the, the courses they have to take are so full and so tight, we can't fit a course in. Um, and one of the ways that we're working on this is by really closely partnering with the Santa Clara County Office of Education and thinking outside the box on ways that we can help start that progress towards um, supporting, creating new teachers who are lifelong technology learners, integrators, and critical consumers of technology. So, um, Bettina, it sounds like you and I have a lot in common. <laughs> 
I think on the school district front, I think there are a lot of assumptions that are made. Um, I see a lot of times that, for example, administrators feel like teachers who just graduated are automatically technology experts. Um, and we do the same thing with our students. You know, I'm looking at uh, Chris's question, Chris's comment, and we assume because students are on technology all day that they automatically know how to use it. You know, not looking at the type of technology that they're using is different from academic use of technology. So we make a lot of assumptions. You know, we skip out on the session zeros and teaching them the basics. And so we have a tendency to do the same thing you know, with teachers, you know, they just, they just graduated from college, so they know it, or, you know, I see them on their phones all the time, so they go with technology, they don't need the PD. So somehow figuring out how to level that professional learning field um, in higher ed, as well as on the district level. Um, and I understand that that's a, a that's a, a big task. I mean, it requires a lot of customization, and I don't know what the answer is, but I think that's a good place to start. Very good. I, think, I see another question that kind of connects with everything that we're talking about. The question is, um, do we need to hire for technology literacy and fluency? This is coming from Kay, and she's saying she's going to be a bit controversial here, but just wondering if we need to hire for technology literacy and fluency. I think we need to consider it. I mean, honestly, I think it needs to be a consideration. If we're talking about right? Um, in terms of staff, right? I'm not saying that like that should be like a make or break criteria for every new hire. But I think if there's no, if there's very little capacity um, in a particular context, um, then it's really hard to build capacity, right? So I think there's gotta be ways that we think about addressing technology and literacy, whether it's through hiring, whether it's through making sure that people get not only just one professional development training, but actually getting work with technology coordinators that's followed up upon, right? So it's not just here, like come to, we're gonna introduce you to like 10 different tools and then good luck with that, right? Because, you know, people who have, you know, who have, a you know, struggle or like, are may not be confident with technology, just that single introduction is not necessarily gonna be enough. And so I think we really have to consider technology literacy and 21st century skills in general, um, when we're looking at hiring practices, if we want to promote greater digital equity for our students. This is Susan, I certainly uh, think that uh, digital literacy um, can be a component of the hiring process, although a uh, former colleague of mine was fond of saying I'd rather have a good teacher who's not comfortable using technology but is willing to learn than a teacher who's very skilled using technology but um, isn't a good teacher. Uh, so, and so I think um, I think it's it's important to consider those digital literacies as part of um, the skill set of a really gifted, talented teacher, recognizing that it's not the only skill set. And that also, you also need to focus not only on your um, incoming, the new teachers um, joining the field, but also um, to consider ongoing professional development for your more experienced teachers, because there are many fine teachers who ne didn't necessarily uh, grow up um, learning all of these digital literacy skills, who could learn them with the proper supports and ongoing professional development and ongoing supports. And, but it's important to recognize you have to um, help them to overcome their fears 
and uh, make sure that they have the time and space to develop their skill set and that technology professional development is just not like a one-shot, one-day workshop. Okay, you're all prepared uh, to go out and use technology in the classroom, but that it has to be ongoing, it has to be chunked, it has to be scaffolded. And like meeting our students, we talk about differentiated instruction and meeting them where they are. We have to do that with our teachers, no matter whether they are a seasoned technology professional or whether they are terrified uh, to try new tools in the classroom. I also want to insert, I think another key point to consider is really helping teachers first understand a foundational framework around technology use, like whatever works for your district. I know my teachers, um, like we use Liz Kolb's triple E framework because that's what they relate to. And you know, we do talk about SAMR, but we talk about SAMR not in an evaluative sense. We use it more as a reflective piece. However, with my admins, um, the SAMR model gives them a talking point to start from if they're doing observations. So finding you know, a, a foundation that works for you first so that you can understand the ins and outs and the pros and cons of good technology use. Because trust me, I've seen a hundred times where technology has caused a perfectly good lesson to crash and burn. I have a ton of stories like that. So I think really having them understand a foundation first and then bringing in the technology pieces and options. And I think it's important. I agree very much that we have to have some common language and common understandings of what quality use of technology looks like in classrooms. And I think especially for our pre-service teacher candidates and even some of our in-service teacher candidates, along with that awareness of um, quality technology use, I think also needs to be an awareness of how the use is inequitable in different settings. And it is be being applied inequitably if people aren't conscious of the equity issues. So it's kind of a, like, how do we get everybody to see both problems, both the misuse or misapplication of technology and the inequity that can be inherent in the institutions themselves and in the way we do school. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that we had a chance to hear from everyone on that because I think it's an important topic to consider and I keep hearing a lot about bridging the gap between the districts and um, I know several of, of uh, my colleagues here on the panel are doing work with districts and trying to figure out how we can sort of collaborate so that we make sure those of us who are pre-service educators we're making sure we're doing what we need to do in the classroom while keeping pedagogy as a priority so i'd like to maybe talk about um, some of the successes and challenges when it comes to um, physically teaching lessons that you know traditionally are pen and paper and now you're trying to incorporate technology into that activity, um, but you're trying to make sure that you're still aware of the fact that your students who are pre-service teachers may not have devices when they come in. Um, and I see Bettina's head nodding. I'd love for you to jump in because I know that you're doing a lot of work. And then also I'd like to talk about what research you might be, those of you might be doing in these areas. And then a third piece would be um, what physical projects, larger projects, might you be working on where you're actually connecting with districts so that what they're doing is informing what you're doing in your practice or in your teaching? Well, since you called me out, I can go, but I'd actually rather hear from Abby first. Can I just tag Abby and then I'll go after Abby? Cause she's actually like in districts. And so 
I'm like, tag you're it. Okay. <sighs> I'm being hazed. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, I, I always talk about, um, you know, working at the Friday Institute is like working at Disney World because I do get to work with um, cohorts of teachers on a one, two, three, sometimes four year basis um, where I'm actually in schools, um, co-teaching, planning, um, doing PD, you know, and I'm fortunate enough that I get to have them if we decide it's going to be professional learning, you know, there's a sub and I have them for the entire day. And then, you know, we're together for the follow up. So I get to see um, that whole process um, come to fruition. Um, so, Nicole, tell me, can you tell me again the first part of your question? So I'm, I'm really wanting to know more about just what you're talking about. What things might you be doing um, and, and maybe talking a little bit about the successes and some of the challenges that you've encountered while you're trying to keep your district tech forward, but also Absolutely. supporting people who are coming into your district. Um, Absolutely. So they're prepared to embrace your tech forward thinking or strategy. So I do have more than one district. Um, so the toughest part for me is that there's no cookie cutter approach. So every district, every district's cohort has a different model. So for example, in one district, we started with um, a teacher leader cohort and we intentionally pulled naysayers into the group. So we didn't have like a cohort of high flyers, right? So we intentionally balanced, um, you know, some of the high flyers with some of the teachers who were maybe walking that line you know, down the middle, and then some of the naysayers. So the second year, they were responsible for supporting the second cohort, right? So we brought them in and they served as coaches. The third year, they took more of a leadership role. So then, you know, I start working on what I call gradual release. So when we bring in the next cohort, you now have um, your leaders and then you have a subset of coaches and then you have the new group in. So by the time I step out, they have a model that they can keep going. Um, in another district that's very remote, and when I say remote, I have to drive two and a half hours to a ferry, take a three-hour ferry ride to Ocracoke Island to service them. So it takes me, it's a three-day trip for one day of PD. So knowing that their contract was coming to an end, so in their third year, we did um, a true hybrid model. So for the, the first semester, I went out for opening session. I worked closely with their tech facilitator. And then together, we designed an online course. But it was combined with meeting with her face-to-face. -face. So the last part of each, of each assignment was you went to roundtable, and then there was an application part. Right. So after we did the first semester, we got some feedback. We did a focus group, figured out what they didn't like. And when we did this, this spring semester course, I let her take the lead on designing a course based on the needs of the district and based on um, her observations and teacher requests. And so I feel totally confident June 15th would be our last session, the 13th or 15th. And so I know next year she can continue that model without me. So like every district looks so different. Like I, I wish I could give you like, hey, this is the recipe, but it's really going in, it's talking with the administrators, it's talking with the superintendent, it's looking at the school's missions, it's looking at doing a, a in-depth needs assessment and then figuring out, you know, what key points are you gonna focus on and everyone needs additional help. Um, it's a lot of coaching. It's a lot of not taking things personally, you know, understanding that, you know, frustration and, res and resistance is often a result of a high demand and a low skill set or perceived low skill set. 
So just, you know, there's some nurturing and coddling and teaching and learning, and there's a lot going on with it, but uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Okay, now I can talk. Um, <laughs> thanks, Abby. You're welcome. Uh, no, I really love what Abby had to say, especially around um, the personalization aspect, right? This idea that, um, that it's really important to meet people where they're at, right? And that includes districts too. And I think one of the things that's really complicated in pre-service teacher education is we have a lot of um, districts that we service too, right? We train teachers and then we don't know where they go, right? And so a lot of it is providing support to the teachers that leave our program. Like how do we support them in ongoing ways as they're taking steps out to integrate technology into their classrooms. And um, I'm fortunate to keep in touch with a lot of the students that have had my classes and they've become technology leaders in their schools. Um, but I think one really important thing that Abby really highlighted was uh, promoting sustainability, right? So it's really this idea of how can we work together so that you can become the leaders in your district or so that you know your districts can take on these goals because it's impossible for any one person to know the goals of every district that's in that surrounding area and so you know abby's fortunate in her role that she actually gets to go out and work on sites with these teachers but since i'm housed on a campus it's a lot more difficult to do that i'm i've done some of it when i you know, my children are in local schools. And so I'm aware of some of the tech initiatives that are happening because of that. Um, you know, I hear from my teachers, I support them in those ways. But, you know, in terms of more comprehensive supports, I think we need more people like Abby or in the role of technology support, technology coaches, um, people who can actually in an ongoing and meaningful way, work with districts to support the work that they're doing and the priorities that they have. And I think that's also an equity issue because not every district has the funding priorities or access to do that. And, you know, sometimes they'll be making great, like I know of a local district that was making great strides in the area of educational technology and then um, can like, completely like disbanded that entire department and said, okay, well, you know, now technology is, you know, part of curriculum and instruction. So, you know, they set the groundwork. So hopefully now everybody will just be able to integrate technology as part of curriculum, which ideally I think is a good idea. We really want tech integrated as a tool and not as a standalone, like as a, oh boy, this is a fun toy. Um, but thinking about ways that most strategically support people, I think is really, really important. And it's important to build those partnerships between pre-service institutions um, and, you know, the work that's being done in districts. Um, so it's always looking for those partnerships as well. Bettina, can I ask, um, I know Long Beach kind of sits on the border between Los Angeles County and Orange County. Is there a way you can network with the County Office of Education and in either county or both counties and, and kind of tap into that? Yeah, that's a great question, Laura. So we do. Um, I think one of the things that we really struggle with, though, is kind of initiative fatigue, right? So it's like we're working with them in some areas um, and we have connections and our teachers go all over. Some of them go to LA County. Some of them go to the smaller districts um, around Long Beach. Some of a lot of them go back into Long Beach Unified. Um, but a lot of times the districts are like, thank you so much for educating our, you know, incoming teachers and now we'll take over from here, right? And then it's like this strange thing where our alumni, like they want to work with us. They had a good experience, a lot of them in the credential program, 
Um, but it's hard to form those meaningful relationships in multiple areas, right? And as a big college of education, it's like, in order to do things, we have to find funding. And we haven't had a lot of um, technology grant funding to work with our partner districts. And I think that's why um, we've been lagging to some degree in terms of providing that type of support. And I'm not in the ed tech, we have a separate ed tech department and I'm not in that department, but I do a lot of technology-based work. Um, but there aren't a lot of people in teacher ed who do, who specifically do tech-based work. And so it's also hard too, because there are the silos and politics of um, all of our institutions, right? So there's the internal ones within districts and within universities, and then there's the cross siloed, you know, approaches that we're trying to take. So um, definitely reaching out to county offices of education, I think it are is great. It's just having the capacity to do that, you know? Yeah, I have to, to add to that. Um, capacity is a concern. I agree with that point. And then also um, the idea of making sure that districts know that we're coming in to partner and not coming back in after we prepare teachers. We're not coming back in to just dump our ideas over the fence and then we're going to take off, right? Because sometimes I think um, there's a concern that as faculty in higher ed that we come in thinking we have all the knowledge, we have all the information, we know everything. And I think that we have to maintain the learning posture as well because there's so much innovation happening in K-12 districts that we can learn from. So if we partner and step in together, I think the doors might open more often. If we come in saying, we like to learn from you as much as, we wanna to learn together, right? <laughs> Let's explore this together, let's find out how we can benefit and how you can benefit from this relationship um, just the digital equity conversation we're having before. Um, if you'd like to know a little bit more about the work that any of our panelists are doing, please feel free to ask that as well. And panelists, if you have anything additional you might want to share, I know we just heard from Abby and Bettina about um, successes and challenges and thoughts about um, doing this work in digital equity. If anyone else has anything else they'd like to share, please feel free to jump in too. Uh, I, I have a comment. Just I think that it's important uh, that uh, when we're talking about digital equity and successful technology initiatives in general, that we need to make sure we're educating administrators as well and not just to focus on the teachers because so often leadership comes from the top and uh, teachers are much more likely to have buy-in if they see administrators modeling the same skills that they are being expected to use um, in their instruction. And it's, you know, they can, they'll immediately see if, you know, there's an administrator who's saying, oh, use technology in the classroom, but then, you know, they are not themselves um, using technology. So I think it's important to make sure that, uh, administrators are being trained on what effective use of technology looks like in instruction, on how they are using um, instruction themselves in their daily practice, um, whether that's working with teachers or whether that's just the business of running a school. And I think it's also important that when we have these conversations about equity, <clears throat> 
that we are having these conversations with school leaders um, so that they understand uh, the many factors that go into successful technology initiatives, which of course include everything from professional development to device access to making sure that you have adequate Wi-Fi to planning for sustainability and making sure that administrators understand that it really is takes a holistic approach to uh, develop a, a program where instruction is being really meaningfully and sustainably um, integrated throughout a school building. Susan, you, you make a great point. Um, we currently are in our, at the Friday Institute, this will be our third year running um, an open principal cohort. Any principal in North Carolina can sign up for it. And it's in conjunction with um, the Department of Public Instruction. And it's called, um, we call it LPDL, Leadership in Personalizing Digital Learning. And it's where administrators come together. Um, we have four sessions per year. They're all connected. And it's really getting them on that same page about understanding um, the importance the, the purpose, the importance of digital learning, how they can model it, how they can use it, how they can benefit from it, benefits for students. So um, it was good to hear you say that. So I know that we're on the right track with that. So I have a question for you all as we talk about, can you still hear me? I hope you can. Yes. Um, okay, great. As we talk about um, administrators, this is a good question. How do you support administrators um, with Observe with observations, let's say observing teachers in action and their use of technology. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Because I know I'm just thinking about my classroom days and having an administrator come by and see something very innovative happening, happening with the use of technology, but still wondering how does this connect to the standards or how does this connect to the learning? And although I could explain it, um, you know, what are your thoughts about that? You know, do you, in your instruction, do you support service candidates with bridging those connections between standards and um, technology? Do you uh, just focus on the pedagogy? Um, and then what, are you, what advice might you give to principals as they go in and observe innovative practices? You know, how do you help them to embrace what they see? Or do you, or do you just have them focus just on the standards? Well, I think Abby brought up a really good point earlier when she said districts need to have a framework from which they're operating, right? And I think that's the same in pre-service um, settings as well. Like pre-service teachers need to have a framework if they're really going to be thoughtful about their technology integration. And so one of the things that I used to do, I mean, I've always integrated technology into my own practice as a model for students. But in the last couple of semesters, I actually have students in my literacy class um, do a lesson plan that is standards aligned that also draws from either the ISTE standards for students, for educators, or um, the SAMR framework and have them ground some of their use of technology in the lesson plan alongside both their like content and pedagogy and those technology standards, right? So that they're really getting that practice. Because to me, I tell my pre-service candidates, you need to be able to, when an administrator comes in to observe you, whether it's during um, an observation, during your student teaching or your first year of teaching or whenever, you've got to be able to understand why you're doing what you're doing with everything. And that includes technology. And so, it's hard to explain why you're doing what you're doing if you don't have framework. Um, so I think framework is really critical. Um, and I think having people be on the same page about what that framework is, is critical if you're gonna have a conversation about it. And so um, 
I think, again, this kind of goes back to a theme of today's um, discussion, which is we have to promote professional development on multiple levels um, to allow for that to happen, whether it's pre-service or in-service or for administrators as well. Very good. Um, so we have some questions that are coming in now, and I'd like to post, I'll pose them in order. So we'll start with a question from Chris. Um, he says, one of the biggest challenges for education is scaling innovation. What are your thoughts for what has allowed your successful innovations to move beyond a one-off event? I, well, I can, I can maybe speak a little bit <laughs> to that one. That is a tough one because, um, you know, even we talk about funding at district level, there's also funding for um, at higher ed when it comes to doing the, these events, right? So I'd like, I do like to think about events in series or with a series mindset. So instead of just thinking about just the one-off, um, it is helpful to think about what's next. How will I support the learning beyond the event that's happening now? So some of that um, can come through, you know, your, your pre-survey for your event and then your post-survey and finding out what's next. Just a check-in, follow-ups and check-ins are important as well. Um, and I, I think that that's the most helpful way to push beyond just um, one event. However, we know that sometimes that doesn't always work because when pe once people leave the one-time event, sometimes they're done. And it's hard to get people to return back or to even talk about how they've applied the technologies that they've discussed or technology changes. So it is a challenge. It's definitely um, a challenge to push beyond um, the one-off events. So I'm curious what others um, are thinking about with that question as well. Um, I'm thinking that uh, planning from planning for sustainability from the outset is a key factor in um, helping to scale innovation and recognizing that uh, you need to take a holistic approach to integrating technology in a school or district and that that is more likely to lead to long-term outcomes. I agree that scaling um, innovation is very difficult, which is why it's um, not why it's often not very successful. But I think that if you if you're if you're thinking if you're thinking holistically about the factors for success and making sure that you're including um, ongoing professional development for teachers um, and administrators as part of the process, I think you're more likely to uh, keep those ongoing mindsets going that will allow um, continuing innovation to take place. That's great points about sustainability. I think I've heard that a couple of times too um, in our discussions already that we have to have that mindset of sustainability. Um, we have another question that's come in from uh, Dr. Raina Leone from the St. Mary's, and she is asking, How do you partner with others in teacher ed who want to build tech capacity when they themselves have, have not yet gone beyond tech basics? So, how do we partner? Yeah, I, um, so technology is part of our strategic plan as a college. And so we actually um, have been emphasizing technology a lot in the past few years as a college um, and working to build capacity. And so one of the things we've done, I helped to facilitate the college meetings, um, which are faculty and staff meetings um, across the college. And one of the things we've done is had kind of a series of workshops for folks um, that, 
are geared towards meeting people at multiple levels and finding kind of different opportunities for people to be introduced to new forms of technology. And then we're really fortunate because we get, um, we have an ac academic technology support division like it's a whole team and they do academic technology support for faculty but also for students as well and so i know a lot of faculty and they put on workshops that are university-wide and so i know a lot of faculty will um go to and attend those things and i know this is again another digital equity issue because we have that as part of a large campus and so people are able to take advantage of that um, but I think it's challenging if your institution doesn't have a structure like that, because I've tried to do one-on-one -on -one outreach to folks, even with a platform like Twitter, which I use um, a lot. And I've realized over the five years that I've um, been on Twitter, at first, because I jumped on Twitter and just figured it out really quickly and was like super excited about it, I tried to give like the entire show all at once. And my colleagues were like, I mean, they were just what? And so it's also like really taking a step back and scaffolding and doing it little by little. And um, and again, this goes back to relationships being key. I think I have really good relationships with a lot of my colleagues. So they'll come and talk to me and I try to make it less intimidating. Um, and I mean, I think those are all kind of important factors, but I do think it's really tough because I've also heard people come to me and say, you know, but I'm not at your tech level. And it's not really about being at my tech level. It's about, you know, being able to explore because I mean, I'm not at some super high level, but I am comparatively to other folks. And it's not really about a comparison. It's about us all kind of thinking strategically about how we can best use this tool for um, our work in teacher education, at least. I don't know if that answered your question, Raina. Um, yeah, uh, I actually, first of all, I'm excited that you actually have colleagues who want to dive into technology in teacher education and, and integrate it into their classes. Um, I've actually found that in the process of researching what our local school districts want their new teachers to do, I'm also getting local school districts offering like online workshops and resources um, at ISTE. I'll be presenting on some of this work that we've been doing and I'm gonna then on Tuesday the county office that I'm partnering with is doing a series on their badging program and they've invited all of our professors to come and participate in the badging programs that they have which means that professors can participate in learning about tech and tech integration at the level that they are at. And it's already up and set up and going, and it's something that um, sometimes it's hard for them to hear technology training from their colleagues, and it's easier to hear it from someone else. So one thing I would strongly recommend is partner, find out what your local school districts are doing, and see if there's any like collaborative support you can work with um, with the K-12, like, I really wish I lived near Abby right now, because <laughs> I would love to be able to take some of the courses that she's been describing that she's doing in North Carolina. And I think also on that front, I think Bettina touched on this is um, in your, in the process of scaffolding, like really being creative with options, 
you know, when I was a tech facilitator, I used to have this thing called Tech Tuesday, and I would get upset because teachers wouldn't come, you know, but that was the only time I was offering additional support is if you came out on Tech Tuesday where teachers are busy on Tuesdays, they can't come out. So what are some other options, you know, like um, in one district, we did do the badging system and teachers ate it up. They're on their doors. We did laptop stickers if they ate it up, tried it in another district. They just couldn't they just couldn't latch on to it. Um, MOOC courses. Um, University of Michigan just did their third 4T conference, the 4T virtual conference, which was amazing. You could sit in your house and pick what sessions you wanted to go to to get your, um, they call them sketch credits, but we call them continuing education credits. Um, if you're doing something hybrid, you know, maybe if you're doing levels, so, you know, maybe I need to come and meet with you um, if you're at this level, but if you're on this level, you can submit a product and then, you know, I'll give you an activity to help you extend that. And if you're on this level, so like really being creative with how you provide those supports to accommodate different egos and different learning styles, you know. Okay, we do have, um, I mentioned before, we have some people here live and so they, um, we're gonna have them jump in with a couple of comments questions as well before we move on to it looks like we have another question from Raina and then we have one that came in from Ashara as well so we'll make sure to tap on the, or touch on those questions too yeah so um, Abby uh, Corona Narco is a, a school district with 52 schools that spans approximately uh, 18 square miles it's a pretty big district it's a suburban district and a little bit of rural in there too I am so super interested in what you're doing with the cool park model um, we have been well we had tried to get um badging going in our district uh, before it got off the ground the director went and moved to a different district and, and in the between time i came on from another district so i'm brand new to the district i just finished the first year uh, they never replaced the director so i was acting director and they kind of dropped in my lap this badging thing that she had created but never launched. So I've been tasked with the badging, uh, not getting a lot of positive feedback from the teachers on it, um, but our local county office is now gone Google. And since I'm a Google trainer, a lot of the districts are pulling the Google trainers together and we're trying something called Google Power Hour where uh, our county office is going to give a badge for, let's say someone sits for an hour and we do a Google Hangout um, on Google Forms. And the add-ons and the different ways you can make quizzes and whatnot, then the teacher afterward will have to create a couple lessons and then submit the link for that and get the badge, but we're gonna do it through the county office of ed. So um, I'm, I'd love to get in contact with you and pick your brain about your cohort model because I think that would also work if we could pull something like that in with it. Absolutely. I, I will give you this tip. Um, especially with a district that size, really think about what your deliverable is going to be. Um, we made that mistake with the... Um, <laughs> with the f the design of the first course. And we were basically assessing the projects on a met or not yet basis. So we needed the product to not be so intense that we were we were being bombarded with products and weren't able to move on to the next. So it was just simple. It was met or not yet. And if you got a not yet, we told you what you needed to do to fix it. You know, we gave you that feedback and you fix it and then you resubmitted it. So we kept the product, first of all, um, 
relatable to what's going on in the classroom. So it wasn't an extra something. Like we didn't have you create a Canva post if you're not gonna use it for anything, right? So it was it was something, it was embedded in something that you're already doing. Number one, so that you can see the relevance of it. And number two, so that we were able to assess um, that you really have a grasp of knowledge on this product. So absolutely, um, I'm happy to get you my information. I love collaborating with people. So you can pick my brain and, and in return, I can pick yours. Awesome. Okay, so Susan um, is going to jump in and respond to a couple of our questions before we take our, our break here. Um, so we did have a question come in regarding net neutrality and the digital divide. So Susan, did you want to go ahead and speak to that? Yes, absolutely. And um, I just shared in our internal chat a link from an EdScoop article um, that actually just uh, discusses this issue. So no one knows exactly what the impact of net neutrality is going to be, um, but the the challenge is that because with net neutrality, ISPs will have the ability to uh, throttle or prioritize content based on the provider's ability to pay. Um, those monetization practices can negatively impact um, public education in a variety of ways. Um, for instance, um, they may end up um, increasing internet costs. Um, so internet organizations or so that or educational institutions could cost could have increasing costs for internet service. Um, and uh, the ability to use specific services uh, might be limited because they might be locked behind paywalls or uh, because if that particular um, company cannot afford to um, pay for the higher access levels to their ISP, then um, the performance might be um, negatively impacted. And um, it may also, um, address the whole issue of throttling. It uh, can also address the issues with um, bandwidth usage in schools, like specifically with, um, for instance, video content. Um, so for instance, you may have a situation in a classroom where you have uh, a classroom of 30 kids who are all watching videos at the same time. And if uh, people have reduced connection speeds because of the higher cost of internet access, um, then they may not be able to uh, have the bandwidth to to stream those videos on the same at the same time. So uh, that's one of the reasons that why so many education organizations uh, were against repealing net neutrality because of these potential impacts on education. We don't know exactly what they're going to be and they're not gonna go into effect, um, I believe it's uh, June, I think it's June 11th. Um, that's the date that um, the net neutrality appeal goes to effect. So I don't know that we're gonna see immediate impacts right out of the gate, um, but we're just gonna have to wait and see um, kind of what happens more long-term, but definitely I think that the repeal of net neutrality um, does have the potential to exacerbate digital equity issues. Thank you so much. Um, so we are, kind of, we are we are pressed on time here because we did say we were gonna do a hard break at five o'clock. So we do have a couple of other questions I'd like to start um, answering maybe after the break, and hopefully those who are watching will return. Um, if not, this is being recorded, so you'll be able to come back and um, see what those responses are later. So for our panelists, um, thank you so much. Those of you who are planning to stay, feel free to just mute your mic and uh, turn your cameras off for now. And um, those of you who will be taking off, I know the team you have to teach, we want to just thank you again Thank you for joining us for part one of this very important conversation around achieving digital equity, hosted by the ISTE Digital Equity Professional Learning Network.
part two of the conversation with the panel will air on our next episode. So be sure to join us then. If you've missed episode one and two of our podcast series, please be sure to find them on this channel or wherever you choose to download your podcast. Thanks for helping us achieve digital equity. See you soon.